0: These are dark days. Yeah. It's rough out here. Things are moving so fast that in show notes, which I'll do the night before the episode goes up, we'll add some links to places you can donate on the ground if you would like to support people who are protesting. So many places are getting flooded with, uh, like, the Minnesota Bail Fund. Like, I actually gave to a place called Black Visions, I think. Mm-hmm. So so I, I guess I would say um, so many places are getting inundated with donations, which is great that then they sort of say, like, how about these other places? Yep. But I do encourage you to um, support Black Lives Matter and its offshoots. Those are people who have been on the ground in their communities for years, and they know what they need better than probably anybody else. So what we'll do is we'll put some links in show notes that will be sort of the most up-to-date for when the episode goes live.
1: Yeah, we'll do our best. I gave last night to the Brooklyn Bail Fund. It's uh, Saturday, the 30th. And last night, there were protests all across the country, and a lot of people got Arrested in New York City, so the Brooklyn Bail Fund was reactivated, but they instantly said, gave names for other places too. So we'll do our best, but we'll link also to some of the national Twitter accounts that are keeping these lists as present as possible. Right. But we're doing our best also to stand with people in the streets. Stay safe. If you can give, give. I know a lot of people are wondering how they can help.
0: Bail is how you can help. And there was a great thing I tweeted this morning that I'll add to show notes that was like, if you can't be at protests for whatever reason, here are ways you can support from your home. Nice. And I think that those are also really important lists. And also make sure you're registered to vote. Make sure that if you have paper balloting
1: as an option in your state and you're concerned about COVID, you're signed up for an absentee ballot. In New York, for example, uh, the end of June is our primary. We're, you know, voting absentee here, but that's the most, the quickest, and most effective way to help mitigate it. Yeah, yeah. Um, make sure you're registered to vote, uh, and and vote these fuckers out.
0: America, same as it ever was. Anyway. Welcome to Faded Mates. We're not going to talk about this. We are going to talk about another topic. I think it's always really tricky when you're putting stuff out there into the world. It's like, how do you address it? And I think what we just decided was, like, we'll talk about where you can give money and how you can support. And then if that's all you need from us, you can tune out. And if you would like to hear us talk about romance, then you can stay tuned in. So let's talk about some romance
1: novels. Let's talk about joy. Yeah. Let's talk about joy and happiness. This is Fated Mates. I'm Sarah McLean. I write romance novels and I read romance novels.
0: I'm Jen Prokop. I'm a romance reader and critic. And uh, we're excited to talk about this week's interstitial topic. Jen is finally in summer, everyone. (gasps) I
1: know. She finished school. So she's also kind of like <laughs> shell-shocked. <laughs> There's a little <laughs> There's a bit of a thousand-yard stare in her eyes. I'm looking at her.
0: <laughs> it's weird, too, because I feel like the things I normally do at the end of the school year to sort of celebrate, I can't do. Yeah, um, of course. And there are things that happen at the end of school that I'm really sad to have missed. So I was telling... I was telling Sarah and Kate this morning in our group text that at my school, the last thing on the last day of school is a middle school assembly. And then when the assembly ends, school is over, and the kids, it's like the running of the bulls. (laughs) Like they are dismissed (laughs) from assembly, and it is the most joyful, happy, like it's. Pure, amazing kinetic middle school energy. Yeah. And I just am sad. I'm sad. I like I sort of was thinking yesterday, like it's to not have that experience with kids. Just yeah. feels like, but that's how the school year ends. I mean, it's awesome. And are the, you is yeah. your middle school connected to the high school that
1: these it kids is. will go to? So yeah. you are not you're at least not losing. No. Them. I will see
0: a lot of them again. But yeah, it's that moment of like Kid joy that it's finally summer, and it's to experience that like that with 300 kids at once is pretty amazing. So yeah, I was just sad. I was sad to miss that.
1: Yeah, that is a bummer. I think about that with you know just in general with us here homeschooling, you know, virtually. I said to Eric the other day, I was like, "If New York wanted to do us a solid." they would keep that sort of morning Zoom with the class right through summer. (laughs) Just something to give her, like, yeah. to center her. I don't know what we're going to do for summer.
0: Camps are a mess. Like It's true. So a friend of mine, I'll put this link in show notes. A friend of mine who worked in summer camps forever is putting together with a friend of hers something called My Camp Box. Oh, fun! It's like mycampbox.com and they will essentially like put together a box that arrives at your house every like, I think two weeks. I'm signing up. And it's like uh, essentially art supplies and like activities that they would do at camp and And I was like, that's a pretty good idea. So I will put that link in show notes. I have no idea what their capacity is, but I do know that Susan has worked in camps forever. So even though it's like a startup, I do feel pretty okay about saying, like, if anybody knows what it is parents at home need to keep kids busy, it would be Susan and her friends. So, I mean, whatever. Who can I pay to get my kid (laughs) not be my office all day every day
1: for the months of July and August uh anyway so we're this is a bummer of a beginning (laughs) I know sorry everybody well it's where we are but it's also the end of May and that means summer reading and that means Jen gets to spend the next two months just basically reading romance novels and doing nothing else
0: yeah it's amazing which is great it's a good time of year for me. That's
1: the dream. That's my goal. I want to be you when I grow up. <laughs> Today, we're talking about a trope that I really love, and it turns out you really don't. Okay, so why don't you introduce it? And it's not that I don't love it. It's just not my... When we first talked about this trope, you were we were like, I was like, what about this? And you were like, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> and then, and um, so anyway, the trope is childhood friends to ultimately lovers, And I'm willing to acknowledge that that trope can go multiple ways. I really like it. It will come as no surprise to anybody when it goes through, now we don't speak and I hate you. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Or perhaps, uh, now we don't speak because you tried to kill me. That works too for me. Um, Now we don't speak because you tried to ruin me uh now we don't speak because you're an asshole (laughs) literally any
0: version of that works for me i will tell you what i found really worked for me was um now we don't speak because you left me here to handle this on my own yeah and i found the books that i was drawn to that i have read in this trope were really about like loss yes i have one of i have one of those also I don't
1: love I mean, I'm on the record for not loving friends to lovers, but, you know, there's that Naima Simone uh, scoring off the field. Which is childhood friends to adult friends to unrequited lovers to lovers. And I just could read that book. That is a book I have reread since we've started quarantine um, because I
0: just love it so much. Uh, So, yeah. But we've talked about it before on the podcast. But we have. But I will say, too, it's the same way. There's like a, you know, people talk about like, oh, what is like a movie that if you're channel surfing, you have to stop and watch it? Mm Mm-hmm. I feel like that book is, like, the equivalent of that. Like, you mention it, and I'm like, okay, I guess I need to reread it now. You know what I love about that book? I love, well, I love Unrequited
1: Love. And so Unrequited Love is about the only version of Friends to Lovers that I really, like, can get behind and i you don't see it very often i think because there's a sort of general modern sense of unrequited we should do an unrequited love episode but you don't see it very often i think it's really hard to do well you guys who listen regularly don't just like come into my, into the twitter mentions and like shout about books that aren't great <laughs> like if you but if you have read an unrequited love romance novel And you that you really loved. Would you tell us on Twitter? Because I really love that trope. And I don't think I've ever written it. I guess Callie and Raw... I guess maybe. But they didn't really love each other. It's not really love. I don't know. I've never really written it, I don't think. But I should. One. And two... I think it is hard because I think you can get in the weeds on like obsession. You can get in the weeds on like somebody just seeming kind of pathetic. Yeah,
0: I think that's part of it. One of the things about these tropes, I think the thing that these tropes have in common that make them very difficult to do well is what is the catalyst for change? Mm what what changes what tips friends over into being lovers? what tips unrequited over into being into requited yeah <laughs> right and i th- and I think that that's the part that's really hard. So you have does this person just seem kind of pathetic it, do they write especially if it's a heroine who has an unrequited love? Yeah, I was just gonna say. I think that's really tricky. I think it's so hard. So,
2: but in that, There's so
0: many variables, yeah. So two things while you were just talking. One
1: is, yes, it's a heroin problem often.
2: And by heroin, I mean
1: Lady Hero. I don't want to inject you and listen to jazz. Because she seems inactive, right? Because she's right. stuck in this rut of love. Um, I would say... Someone who does hero unrequited love probably better than anybody is Lorraine Heath, who routinely will give you a hero who. Yeah, I mean, like waking up with the Duke, for example, like a hero who has spent his whole life in silent pining. Right. Like won't even acknowledge that he's been pining for this woman, but has clearly been pining for this woman. Like, that's my jam. But uh, Naima does it with a heroin, and the reason why it works is because on page one... Page one, she's like, I'm she's not doing like, this I anymore. She's can't. It's so toxic. This whole... And that's something we talk about a lot, right? The right place to start a yeah. book. But this is Friends to Lovers, and so this is a good question, right? Because I just arguably have written... Well, no, not arguably. Have actually written Childhood Friends... Also, childhood love to lovers, Mm -hmm. to adult lovers. And starting in the right place is a real pickle (laughs) for us. Of course. Because how do you show childhood? And, like, how do you prove, like, it's this show don't tell issue, right? Like, it's, you don't want to deliver half a book before, like, while they're children. Ooh, no. Because... Then you're not really reading a romance novel, but you also can't, you can't do it without somehow showing them when they were children.
0: Okay. There's just so many different problems with the pacing and the plotting and where you begin and how much childhood to have. But also I think the other part that's really built into the system too is how, So how much childhood do you show, but also, and how do you show it, but also how much time apart, right? Like in the ones I had, there's like this time apart, right? Because otherwise it would just be friends to lovers. I think there has to be some missing, some time where they're not together. And I think the other thing about that then is really interesting is how do you show a character who has changed independent of that person right so who here's who I was when we were kids here's who I am now right okay this is going to be a little garbled but I was thinking a lot about it when I think back on who I was when I was a kid and who I was when I was 15 and who I was when I was 20 one of the things I think about a lot is like would 20 year old me be disappointed in me now and I guess what I mean by that is like we all have such big dreams or aspirations or the kind of people we want to be. And then when you in a romance meet up with a person who knew who you were, are they going to be disappointed in you the way you are in yourself? Well, that's a piece of it. So Right. That's a
1: piece I of think, it. You know, we talk so much about how romance the the real core, the the gold of romance is the story of characters' identities. This is why this is where romance thr- flourishes. Um, yes, and the best romance does so much intense, nuanced character work that doesn't necessarily exist. I mean, I know it makes me sound, you know, like I'm a romance purist, but I am. And the reality is, is like Same. I really think that you'd be hard pressed to find like literature outside of romance that really does the kind of like intense character work that we do no I agree um because it's all internal like the whole conflict of a romance novel for it to work for it to give us that like like breathless you know panicked chest tightening feeling we have to believe that the characters are are able to change And have have capacity for love. Right. And sometimes that even just seeing that, like seeing that evolution to capacity for love is that's the challenge of romance. And that's why when we talked about IAD in the first season, like it was all about those heroes kind of breaking open.
0: We were talking about what books we were going to read, and I was like, "I want to talk about Born." (laughs) You and I don't normally like use your books as an example, right? But in this case, I really—I have lots of stories about Born and Penelope, so you can talk about Born. That is a book that really gets at this like tension of we were best friends as children, we parted ways. Him in like sort of shame, right? Now she's a spinster. He's come back for his land and she had just wanted their friendship back. But I think the thing that was so heartbreaking when they like meet up again is her. Yes. In the woods. Right. is, Is she's like, oh, my God, my friend is back. And he she very quickly comes to understand that he's not interested in that. And then what she There's this, like, default to, like, now he's going to know my shame, which is I'm a 27-year-old spinster or whatever. I spent a lot of time thinking about, like, the people you grew up with are the people who know everything about you. Yeah. So then they come back and you're like, am I going to disappoint them? Oh, I don't know. It was so... (sighs) And that's what I think I need from these stories or the ones I'm drawn to. Because the other one I want to talk about is TJ Klune's Wolf
1: Song. So that book that Jen was talking about is called A Rogue by Any Other Name. It's the first book in my casino series. Mm-hmm. And that hero is a lot. Ooh. He's a lot. <laughs> um, yeah, he is. He, I mean, he's Bitter and angry and vengeful and mean and hurt. Uh-huh. And Penelope, his uh, heroine, is hurt by him. I mean, like, he, she is devastated. Like, he, they were best friends. And when he returns, he is yeah. nothing of the friend that she once had. And, you know, she's also pined for him. I mean, I guess that's the most, like, that's kind of a piney book, too. Like, she's pined for him, but not for, like, she's pined for his friendship, not for his love. Not for his love, right. And so when they do fall in love in that book, and it's late and the- I mean, I, that book is probably the hardest book I ever wrote. Um, it, he yeah. was such a big ship to turn around. It was it was hard mm-hmm. I, I mean I, there's about i mean there are probably about 60,000 more words of that book that are not in the book that are just like chapters yeah. that didn't make it in but the um but the reason why right. it was so hard to turn him around is because she had to give up the childhood him and like basically put that yeah. childhood person to to bed and fall for yeah like probably my most alpha hero like he's so yeah he's so
0: he's made of stone so i was really thinking like in this trope like when i when i remember it right because i literally so i was telling sarah at the beginning i was like yeah let's do it sounds awesome i'm sure i mean i know this sounds real self-important but yeah there i feel like i've read everything so I, was like, so I was like, oh, it's just a matter of, like, reminding myself of which books I've read that are like this. And then I will have things to talk about. That's often how I approach this task. Like, right, we decide on a trope and I decide on books after. And sometimes then I'm like, what have I read? So I go to Goodreads and I look up, like, childhood friends to lovers, adult romance, and it's 300 books long. And I'm like, no. oh, I haven't read these or I didn't like them. And I think it's because if it's hard, it has to be hard because you have to let go of yeah. who you were and who were they were as children in order to move on, right? That's what I want. I want it to be like, oh, yeah, the weight I mean, of the so world is on you.
1: I picked Kennedy Ryan's queen move this week um, because, I mean, I'm on record for thinking Kennedy Ryan is – tremendous a tremendous writer mm-hmm. and um I probably I've, i I could have put this book on a list on like a let's do a deep dive on this book list um so but we're not going to do that I'm yeah. going to talk about it today but Kennedy so we talked you know you briefly at the beginning of the episode about um about where to start the book and uh both of my big picks start well all of my picks start In childhood, like in actual childhood. And all of them do very different kinds of work. The first 20 percent. So so Kennedy's the the queen moves heroine and hero um, have known each other since they were babies. They're next door neighbors. And um, the heroine, the the hero is um, the hero is half Jewish, half black, born in Atlanta, um, and so that comes with you know right off the bat. Kennedy talks about loving V Virginia and like how complicated that life is. Mm-hmm. Um, his mom is the Jewish character, is the Jewish is the Jewish character um, or is Jewish, and she misses New York. She's from New York City. And now she's in Atlanta, and, like, this is a different world, and also having an uh, an interracial relationship in the South at this time is all sort of coded into this, or, like, not coded, overtly written into this book. The heroine's parent – the heroine is black, and her – and so there is this um, – there's this really, like, wonderful relationship that builds between these two children. Um, she, like, they, they sort of know each other's, um, they know each other's insecurities intensely because they've known each other forever. They understand each other's family dynamics in a way that, like, wouldn't ordinarily happen um, for older older characters if they'd met and had these kinds of relationships. Um, and so there's a very sort of intense, as I was reading it, I was like, it's, it's like a it's it's not a sibling relationship but like there's this moment where it's like their families are are interconnected because they're very good friends and like there it's such an emotional community what kennedy does in the beginning of this book for the first 20% of this book is build this community of people who support these two kids who are both a little bit on the edge right like he's yeah. the he's a, a a biracial kid who's who goes to synagogue, you know, and has to deal with, you know, mm-hmm. his intersection. And she has a stutter and she's like an awkward, she grows into this like awkward teenage phase. We know her from the earlier book in the series um, it, it, that uh, if you've read the earlier, the Kingmaker, you know, this character anyway. So, um, but for 20% of the book, Kennedy delivers us this kind of, beautiful um like little bubble of these two kids who love each other and then they suddenly realize that not only do they love each other they like feel things for each other they are each other's first kiss it's so intense and then it becomes clear immediately to the readers but not to them that his mother and her father have had an affair yikes on bikes and then at 13 She lifts her son out of this world, this idyllic little bubble. I mean, that's not really idyllic. Like, they're dealing with kids' stuff, bullying and other stuff. But still, they have each other. And she takes him back to New York City. And he's gone Hmm. until they are in their 30s. And then he returns on the day of her father's funeral to pay his respects. And he's married. And he has a child. And wow. suddenly, and she's still single, and all she can really remember is, like, this boy that she she literally looks at him. And then also he has a child now who is old enough that she can tell that, like, she can see him in this child. Right. And she's immediately transported back to the person that she loved and the life that that, that they had. Now, of course, she's a politi- a political operative. She's a, like incredibly powerful campaign manager um, and, like, an incredibly impressive, like, a woman who has her own own life in this, like, incredibly impressive way, but what the friends to lovers piece here is about really learning, they have to learn each other again, and, of course, he's also married, so that's a... Right. Whole nother thing. But um, no, I mean, that she, there is no infidelity in this book. It's, well, only their parents, right? Yeah. Well, there is infidelity in, in terms of the parents. But then there's that to deal with, too. Like how the families, like Kennedy writes, you know what I kept thinking as I was reading this book, and I've said this before, I think about Kennedy, when she writes a book, and this is less true about the long shot, um, you know, hook shot, block shot books, but these books, these sort of bigger These kind of dynasty books feel like dynasty. They feel like like massive soap opera y kind of books. Where at one point in the early version, in the early pages of the book, we we get a whole story from the perspective of his mom. Like she's fearless in the sense of like she breaks a lot of rules of like how we should be writing romance, and she's writing kind of really big, meaty. Needy stories that also tell these like intense emotional stories. And I do think that that's where we are with with friends to lovers, because the intensity of friends to lovers or childhood friends to adult lovers, however that path goes, is about trying to recapture something that you can't
0: necessarily recapture. You're trying to recapture that with someone who's different and you're different. But also I think and I think about this a lot with Bourne, and I don't know if this is the case Mm -hmm. in Queen Move. Mm -hmm. Queen Move is that the is they also know your Mm -hmm. your weak points, right? They know where to apply pressure. And sometimes when that pressure gets applied, it's a a move to like save yourself, right? Like I'm in danger, so if I can push this button and push them away, then somehow I will I I won't I won't risk myself and I find that those then like think about falling in love with someone who knows all of mm-hmm. your dark secrets and all of your vulnerabilities and exactly how to push those buttons like it's both but they also know all they know all your secrets so you don't have to tell them I mean right like think about everything that's coded into somebody who knows Everything there is to know about your family, all those vulnerabilities, the way you dealt with them. I mean, that's the part that I think is really. So, if I can like talk about Wolf Song mm. by TJ Clune, I don't know if you've read this, but this book is, it really blew me away. This is a book that, um, when people recommend books to me, I often will read the sample on Amazon. I don't even like send them my Kindle anymore. I just go right to like read inside (laughs) because I'm never sure if I'm really like gonna like it. And I, I am that way. This book swept me away immediately. And it starts off with the boy who, a boy named Ox, he's 12. His name's Oxnard, and everyone calls him Ox, and his dad is essentially, like, walked out the door. And one of the things I'll tell you is I actually sometimes struggle with too much childhood on the page. I think maybe it's because of my job. Look, as somebody who's written these books, like, the question of how much childhood to put on
1: the page is a very important one. And it has to be doing the kind of work Kennedy's doing, where she's telling a bigger story. Like, she's having a conversation about parents, about childhood, about identity, about... Like, it can't just be, like, here's five chapters
0: or ten chapters of them being in love. In Bourne's book, in Rogue, it's told through letters, right? We get their letters back and forth to each other. And everything else is memory. So this is a very different book for me because it starts off with... Now, here's the part that's interesting. Oxen is... His dad leaves. He's kind of like real young and going to be the man of the house to his mom, who is, you know, devastated and just trying to keep it together. And so we get a couple of years of kind of like Ox's life in this small Oregon town. And then a family moves in next door and they have a boy who's a couple of years younger. I think he's 10 or 11 and Ox is 15 or 16. And this boy is like, we're best friends. But it's like kind of cute, like in the way that like sometimes little kids like latch on to older kids. And then what we understand is that Joe, Joe's family, they're actually like we know kind of instantaneously it takes Ox longer, are are werewolves. And Joe has actually been kidnapped by their enemy and has not talked for two years. But upon upon seeing Ox immediately is like. What's up with you? Why do you smell so good? What's going on? And it's like this amazing scene. I mean, I'm not I'm I'm not going to lie to you. This book blew me away. It's so good. That's awesome. And the thing that's also really it is awesome, but it's and I would say, I say this, one of my biggest problems, everyone's biggest problem with the Twilight series is when Jacob imprints on a baby and it's like really gross in every way and I'm sorry I know it's like no kink shaming but it was really I was like "Mm, we don't need to do this well wait
1: we had this wait this happens in a Cressley book it happens in Declan Chase
0: yeah and I didn't like it at all (laughs) I was like this is really hard for me right I was like well because what I liked instead is the vampire thing is you're not going to imprint till they're essentially of age, right? Yeah. (laughs) Like,
1: can't blood until Ellie is old enough.
0: (laughs) Nice work, Cressley. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I was like, good, good save. But I think a lot of writers post-Twilight had to figure out how to deal with this. I mean, like, this is
1: definitely on the Simone scale. And it's probably not that far in, it's probably up into weird,
0: but not that far into wrong. Like, right. Like, how is this, how are you going to really deal with this? If there really are, like, sort of... If there's that kind of work happening, like, what does it mean when it's a child, right? So in this case, what's great about this is Joe is like, he's, yeah, like, we're friends. I'm friends with his family. He's got older brothers. We're all friends. I really fit in with these people. And then what happens is he thinks of Joe as a child until Joe is like, there's this, it is a great scene. Joe is like 17 going on 18 and Ox is now, I don't know, 23 or 24 and he's had like lovers and of both sexes he's bisexual and he all of a sudden like sees joe and literally like walks (laughs) into a wall like right all of a sudden he's like i i don't that's it's, it's this is a great scene but what happens is is the man who's threatened joe comes back and threatens the family and joe and his brothers essentially leave and they leave ox to to be with his mother to take care of sort of the people in the pack that are left. And I don't want to get too into it because it's pretty late into the book, but then there are, it's, it's Ox dealing with, I was in, I'm in love with you and now you're gone and you left me here. You decided to leave me, even though you knew we were in love. And it is a, powerhouse of a book i thought it was so great the writing is amazing i think it's doing some really interesting work about like what it means to be a pack and who gets to be invited but also like this love story between joe and ox is all about loss and grieving because once joe is like my job as alpha is to go take care of you know this killer on the loose who threatens all of us and and Ox is like, don't leave me. And it is so powerful, but it is so infused with, like, loss and longing. And then when when Joe does come back, and again, it's like, I don't want to spoil it, but then it's like your leaving was a betrayal. And I think that those are the books It's and even though when Bourne leaves Penelope, she understands why when he stops writing her back— That's the betrayal, right? Yeah.
1: I mean, she... That's the betrayal. She's... And then it takes her, like, it takes her a long time to get to a place where she doesn't write to him anymore. Where she's, like, cleaned herself of him. Yeah. And then he turns up and she's really happy. She, like, can't stop herself from going right back to that moment. And he just... Of course not. Smacks her down. Oh God, he's such oh, an asshole. God. Anyway, if you like asshole heroes, he's my biggest asshole. Believe it or not, Ewan
0: coming down the he pike is he's my biggest asshole. Mm-hmm. A little competition there in McLean in the McLean universe. <laughs> no,
1: even even with Ewan. Um, no, but it's interesting because I also think. Friends to lovers can work or childhood friends to lovers can work with um, misunderstandings in a really in a much better way. Um, And Mm -hmm. I think um, so my other pick or it's not really my pick, but it's it's another book I want to talk about. I have two others that I want to talk about, but is Lisa Kleypas is again the magic, which I know some of you Mm -hmm. out there are reading right now or have recently read. Yeah, Beth just or just read recently read, right? Or, or be in her books, I think so. in her um, and yeah. so again, the magic. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure I've probably talked about this before because I don't know if we've ever done a secondary love story interstitial. We really should, but this would have been, yeah, this would be the book that I would put first. It really is true. We'd have to fight over and it. And I'm not actually going to talk about the secondary love story here. I'll just say like categorically, this is the best secondary love story ever written in romance, period. And done. Send, send tweet. Oh. <laughs> Agree.
2: And-
1: <laughs> uh, but so but the main love story in this romance is between Aline and McKenna and um, McKenna is a stable boy. And Aline is like a, she's if for those of you who read the Wildflower series, her brother is Westcliff Marcus. Um, yeah. And so she is young and she and McKenna have this like intense Love, Like, it's this intense, intense falling in love. And it, I've just pulled the book off my shelf to make sure. The childhood scenes end at page 63. And so, basically, McKenna is, like, in this, oh, it's so clapis! It's so awesomely clapis! this whole setup. But, it, but basically, it's she's totally in love with him. He's a stable boy. And he's like, I love you, too. I'm going to make, like... Of, like I'm gonna make a life for us. Like we're gonna be together. And he, her father's like, no, this, no, no fucking yeah, way. Right? Is like, this this no way? Like, and there is like a, there's like a kind of big misunderstanding where she ends up sort of sending. She she ends up. He basically says, I'll never leave unless you tell me to go. And then there's a fire, and she tells him to go. And it comes out way later in the book. So he comes back. He comes back 12 years later and he is pissed. He's gone to America. He's made himself a fortune. And he's back rich and powerful and ready to stick it to her. Oh, God, I know. And he is furious. And she's, like, a spinster. She's an unmarried spinster, and she kind of takes it from him. Like, she's like, okay, you hate me. Like, I got, okay. And you're like, and and he just can't deal with how she just, like, rolls over for it. Like, he had this vision of coming back and, like, sticking it to her and having her be, like, fiery and angry, and she's not. And then they sort of start falling back into, like, he, they sort of start remembering why they love each other, why they loved each other from the start. I mean, Eileen never forgot why she loved him, and it comes. It becomes clear that there had been a terrible kitchen fire, and she had been burned horribly on her legs, scarred terribly on her legs, um, and so she has trouble walking and needs to and like needs to be careful and needs needs to be thoughtful about her physical. Uh, she doesn't have as much physical ability as other people. And so um, he and he can't figure it out like he she won't let him touch her below the waist like he can't figure out what is going on. And then it becomes clear that she was so ashamed of, you know, what had happened to her that she has never fallen. She she's never like even gone out into society. And um, now she's she feels like less somehow less than for her for him. So. This, I suppose, this all requires a content warning that, like, um, there is sort of ableism in her view of herself in this. Um, But there is no ableism in his view of her. And he is, yeah. That when he finds out, it's like this magnificent scene where he's horrified that he left her in pain. Right. Like he's bro- I mean, it's it's McGreeve brain a little bit. Right. It's he's so broken by the idea that she was in pain and he was so stupid and like in his like right. stupid anger place. And he he left her, you know, in this terrible place. The point of this is there is like in in this place, it's all about the misunderstanding. It's about the like the choices that they made because their frontal lobes were not fully formed and then it ends up with them sort of having built themselves into these two creatures who are like too stubborn to acknowledge that ch- their childhood they were kids and stupid. I really like that in books when people are like I I fully buy like mistakes made as children f- form us as men as men and women.
0: Yeah, I think so and I think that's so I mean I guess what I'm saying is like in every case that this trope has worked for me it is because of those mistakes were made and now we have to like figure out if we can forgive each other or move on or understand right like there it it just can't be like oh yeah we were in love as kids and now we're in love as adults cuz i need that big shot of conflict
1: yeah but, you know, it works for me. Like, so often we say, like, to romance writers, oh, well, a misunderstanding can't work as plot. Or, like, it can't just be that, like, the letter never got to her. So, like, your life like so you didn't fall in love but the reality is and this is also a trick that's useful in, in historicals right like that maybe this wouldn't work as well in contemporaries but like in historicals this can work right like and it can work so much that like he's McKenna is forged in the fire of his anger and so like and his his vow to stick it to this family that didn't believe in him that when he comes back, he's just, like, watching him unravel that is a joy. And the misunderstanding becomes a really glorious plot. Because, I mean, also, it's in the hands of yeah, right? right? So at the same time, there's the, there's the writing of Aileen and the real believability that she has convinced everyone in her life to not tell him the truth about that day. When he left, yeah, and and everyone is sort of helping her keep the veil down. It's great. It is great. I love that book. It would be my favorite Claypus book if not for the fact that the secondary love story is so tremendous that I just want that book instead. (laughs) Right. I mean, it's, like, such an embarrassment of riches in that book. The secondary love story also deserves a content warning, too. The hero there is an alcoholic. Um, but, woof, that story
0: is so great. Yeah, it's really good.
1: Um, anyway, you do you have another?
0: Because I have another, but... Well, I think it's another one I've read, so I thought at some point we would just sort of talk about them together, yeah. right? Yeah. Because I... I guess I, I mean, part of me is like, no, I had a, it's weird. I had a hard time. I feel like what's going to happen is people are going to be like, well, what about blah, blah, blah. I'll be like, oh, duh, of course that one. I like contemporaries.
1: I like like Harlequins, like categories. Yes. Where the heroine or the hero return home and yeah. like they were the nerd and like suddenly yeah. the homecoming king yeah, that's is into them. Give me like, that. I mean, as the nerd who had a crush on The Homecoming King, like, it feels like it's just me replaying my own, like, you know, high school desires. Like, that one day I would return and I would be, you know, a best-selling author and he would say, it was always you, Sarah. Sure. Let me tell you something. I now follow this person on Facebook and... It was never me. So, <laughs> so I'm really fine with how it all turned out. But the but the reality is is that the that kind of relationship is really, I mean, like for I think for those of us who were not homecoming queen,
0: like that's a really yeah. nice oh, yeah. feeling. I think that's exactly right. Like these books, if they're too rooted in childhood, yeah. it's just like, oh, I just, I lived it. It's okay. Right. Yeah. But I'm reading a graphic novel, a middle grade, an MG, like a middle grade graphic novel right now called Fake Blood by Whitney Gardner. Where a boy who's, like, a total nerd, and I actually am going to take a picture of this, like, one page where he and his two friends are, like, they're, like, what'd you do all summer? And one girl's, like, I bungee jumped. And one girl, I don't know, did something. And he was, like, I read, like, ten books. (laughs) I got, like, the free glasses at the library giveaway. (laughs) And he is in love with this, like, the cool girl who it turns out is a vampire slayer. And I got to tell you, this book is so cute. Yay. It's really cute. I'm like, oh, I read one chapter and I stopped because I was like, I just want to savor this little delicious thing. Like when kids are like, I'm sad, I'm a nerd. That's so real to me. It's so hard. (laughs) Babies. (laughs) I mean, I'm still a nerd and I'm fine. I that's know. That's
1: what you of want course. to say to kids like who are nerds. Yes. Like that's what of I course. want to say to like the kids who are nerds and like the kids who feel weird about their bodies and the kids who feel weird about like what they're sure. into and the kids you're like gonna who be have fine. funny teeth and like weird hair. Like I just kittens you are going to
0: find your crew. Yeah, you're gonna find your people. Yeah. You know what's hard though is as adults that like works, but kids don't want to hear that. I know. I know they know. They're like, no, I am I am an individual person and no one understands no me. No one has like, ever lived that's my, true my truth. Except every yeah, other person who has been fifteen. <laughs> they don't wanna I don't know. They don't wanna hear it. So it's that's what's hard about it. But, you know there are books about what oh, I really the one thing that I, w-
1: I wish I could go back and say to like 15-year-old me is like, don't peek too early. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs)
0: Because it's a long drive home. (laughs) Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. That's a really good point. Um, Okay, so talk about The
1: Highwaymen. Yeah, so this is just, I mean, I actually, I just picked three books that I really love that have this trope, and they all actually do it really differently, right? They use it in a different way you Know, uh, Kennedy's book is really about the way that the world manipulates us when we're children. Um, I mean, the the book is not, but the certainly the the conflict of the book, and certainly the beginning the setup of this book is about yes. manip- the way the world manipulates children and like forces yes. them into whatever world. And Lisa's book is really about, um, you know, the way that we. Um, the way that our doubts and our fears just build, like, create us and, like, ma- turn us into monsters for ourselves, like, th- people we are afraid of. And Kerrigan's book, The Highwayman, wow, if you love, like, big, epic, old school romances, this, Ker- and you haven't read Kerrigan Byrne, like, you are, this is a
0: gift. I am giving you the gift of Kerrigan Byrne. It r- really is, like, Channeling sort of old school tropes pretty fearlessly, mm-hmm. including one where like they were childhood best friends and totally in love with each other, and she spends the entire book like not recognizing him. This is it. Him. This is that book, <laughs> right? Like that book's just like yeah, fuck you. He do- she doesn't recognize him. Go with but, it. All right, Jen. Here's a test of
1: our friendship. I don't think we've ever talked about this before, but I know that you also had a Val Kilmer thing. So I'm assuming. <laughs> were you a fan of the Saint? Yeah, the I mean, movie, of course, right? <laughs> of course. Like, okay, you guys. Oh, the Saint is a movie. I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed. No, this the Saint is a movie be. that I can recite pretty much word for word. <laughs> it is. It is Eric's. I think probably Eric's like greatest disappointment in me. <laughs> like, it is the thing he had to get yeah. over in order to marry me. <laughs> <laughs> And it's like, and Val Kilmer playing forty five different people. <laughs> sure, of it's course. It's like it's like my dream. Like if I ever like when I was when I was in high school and college, like it was Val Kilmer a bust for me. I think I have said that on the podcast. First of all, oh my god, did you ever yeah. read that piece? Yes, it was
0: bananas. but
1: also well, amazing. That, We're gonna put in show notes this. Yeah, wild New York Times feature or profile of Val Kilmer recently, like a couple of sure,
0: like a couple weeks ago. That author is the one who wrote Fleischman is in trouble, which I I immediately bought because I was like, "It's a terrific, a terrific novel." Yeah, Um, Yeah,
1: but she's amazing. This anyway, there's a profile of Val Kilmer um, from the Times, from the Times, the New York Times recently, and um, it was written. It's written like. the the reporter went out and met with Val Kilmer like a week before quarantine started. And so like, Mm -hmm. it's this really fascinating, it's just beautifully written. We'll put it in show notes, go read it. It's worth it. Even if you're not, even if you in high school and college were not like me and obsessed with Val Kilmer and used Val Kilmer as like a myriad, like, 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 versions of Val Kilmer's name and like weird life data as your passwords for way too long. Yeah. <laughs> you can't break not in. Quite there, but you can't break into anything else, anything now. Cause it's not Val Kilmer. It's Tom Hardy. No, it's not Tom <laughs> Hardy either. <so.
0: laughs> That's hilarious. Um, anyway, the point is I was, I was wait, can I, can I yes, interrupt please. you before you go on your, on my Val I'll send Kilmer a, like... Your Val Kilmer, Well, I said <laughs> to, Mr. Reed's romance. I was like, this cause he was like, yeah, that picture like the mm. the photo of oh. him, right? He's like he was like, it's really upsetting. I was like, well, I was like, here's what's upsetting about it to me, is I was like, it really just shows you how fucked up it is that Tom Cruise has like not aged at all.
1: I mean, I guess we should all be
0: and have a lot of work done. Like there's no way that that man is not like completely made of spare parts at this point. But I was like, that's the thing that I think about is like when you see contemporaries and one is like aging, like as a regular person and then one isn't well, regular. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Well, I mean, you know, but you know what's fascinating and the, the question
1: that that article posed at one point was like, what a weird thing that Tom Cruise became the superstar and not Val Kilmer because, like, right. look at the two of them. And it's... Yeah. And, I mean, not now, but then. Anyway. Oh, yeah. Point is, Val Kilmer forever. And <laughs> um, and anyway, where am I going with this? Oh, The Saint. So I was obsessed with The Saint. I mean, like... <laughs> I owned it, I have owned it on multiple formats. I still own it, I don't even think Eric knows this, but I own it digitally and it's on my computer. Like, sure. I love this. I love when he's at the Shelley Monuments and then he gets drunk and he falls and there's a cutting on his face. I love all of it. I love his weird accents, I love it. Anyway, oh, the man. beginning of The Saint, do not, P.S. if you've never watched The Saint, this is not me endorsing The Saint. <laughs> <laughs> This is like
0: endorsing your in. a truly
1: Id. terrible movie on the rewatch, but I don't care. This is just my, here we are. I'm opening a vein. I'm pouring out to you guys. Okay. <laughs> so the saint begins in an orphanage where like a Catholic orphanage where like a perfectly modern person, so I don't even know. Like, I Obviously. don't know where this orphanage is, but they speak English and fine. Um, <laughs> a per, Like, Catholic orphanage where he is, is like, it's where two children, a girl, and Val Kilmer are, like, kind of doing a little, like, flirty dance at the age of, like, 10 or 12. Like, it's, it's harmless childhood flirting. Wait. And she's pretending to be a damsel in, in distress, and he's pretending to save her. And she falls tragically and dies, like, in this, like, beginning. And I have—oh, and the beginning of The Highwaymen feels this way to me because it begins in an orphanage where yeah. um, this girl and these boys have—are all, like, it's run by a horrible, terrible priest. And they kill the priest and have to mm-hmm. run. Yeah. Um, And the one—and one of them gets— uh, and then it turns out, like, th- then it jumps forward, and the heroine works for Scotland Yard. Yep. And there is this like ruthless, like scoundrelly.
0: Oh yeah. You know, villainous villainous villainous, villainous, <laughs> villainous villain. Right. Who, this it's like Bond level who, villain shit, right?
1: Yeah. Who is who has been in uh who's been in a Newgate prison and like. And he comes out, and and he is the oh oh, and they marry. Wait, I'm sorry. As children, they like get married. They like hand fast in a field. Like it's wild. So she is now in Scotland Yard, and she's like presenting herself as a widow, and because she's married. Married. She's like, I'm married. I got married I at 12 like in eight. a field outside an orphanage. It's fine. It's like daisies it's in my hair. It's fine, you guys. Don't worry about it. <laughs> and then he turns up, and they fall in love. But she's like, she's like, I can't fall in love with I mean, like, they fall in love. They start to, like, fall for each other, and they definitely have sexy times. And she's like, I can't love you because there was this other boy Like, I I married this other boy, even though she thinks he's dead. And turns out, not dead, totally alive. Switched identities. Sure. I mean, you guys, it's, like, probably four bananas on the banana scale. If we're saying, like, Sex Planet is five bananas, it could be five bananas on the historical scale. I think on the historical scale, it absolutely is five bananas. It's a five five banana book. And it's... (laughs) really delightful and then here's the thing you can read the whole series and ultimately it gets your like for the first like four books there's this big question about like what happened like who is like who the identities are of all these kids and it really it's very delightful it's a very rewarding read if you love historicals you've never read Kerrigan start with the highwaymen just read them in order they're all like kind of dark and gothic and Victorian these are not, like, playful light like, books. You're not getting, no, like... Not at all. These are not read-alikes with, like, Julia Quinn. These are no. definitely read-alikes with, like, Jane Eyre. Yeah. <laughs>
0: so, like, I was like, whatever that old school over-the-top stuff is, that's yeah. what it is. In, yeah.
1: the, in the um the the family tree of romance, these are on the Jane Eyre branch, not the Jane Austen branch. Yes. Um,
0: and so... <laughs> uh, but they are
1: really, really fun. Yeah. In fact, there's a new one out now, maybe next week, called A Dark and Stormy Night with a K. (laughs) I'm here for it. I'm here for it. No, it's not out. It's out uh, June... Oh, it's out Tuesday, June 2nd. So it was out... Wait. It was out yesterday. It came out
0: yesterday, June 2nd. We We got there. Can I... um... This is not related, except it's, like, perhaps the best text, like, Faded Mates-related text I ever got from my friend Hanna, who comes to my 57th Street book club, mm-hmm. and it's all caps. And it says, James Mallory kidnapping his own wife while pretending he doesn't want her is my new favorite trope. <laughs> <laughs> Yay! One-handed using his teeth to tie the gag because he was not letting her go. Oh, my God. And I was like... <laughs> Fucking romance. Oh, it's so great.
1: And she hasn't even gotten to the part where he gets bangs. <laughs> Fucking romance. It's so perfect. I know. We're on day 78 here in quarantine. I'd like to convince Eric to get some James Mallory bangs. I'm happy to <laughs> cut them. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I tried to convince Eric to let me cut his hair. And he thinks that I wouldn't be good at it. He's like, you know, people are good at cutting hair. And I was like, I'm not denying the fact there are people who are better at cutting hair than me. But I think I could watch a few a few like videos on YouTube and be able to cut your hair an inch. Yeah. No, I've... I... He doesn't trust me. There's not a lot of Darryl... trust in our relationship. <laughs> yeah,
0: well, that's like a real, that's it. Like, I mean... I mean, I would never let him near me with shears, so it's fine. <laughs> it's fine my haircut is so like it's months overdue for haircut but it's still like Ugh. shape-wise looks okay so like shout out to lonnie at salon 1800 because yeah when you cut my hair all those months ago you must have really done it i just look like a
1: a fucking lion i really do <laughs> like if i take my hair down i posted a picture to instagram yesterday it's just like a it's a mane of like now ombre like
0: kind of yeah right weird oh yeah ombre. mine is definitely a weird color <laughs> I um I feel like there's like a kind of scraggly like white lady hair thing that happens where it just like lays there real flat and it's bad and I feel like I'm I'm in that window but I'm alive so it's fine
1: I mean there are yeah exactly right right like if all I have to do is deal with my like my giant hair hair for summer I'll take it anyway next week kingdom of dreams I'm gonna reiterate my content warning you guys a thing (laughs) happens with a horse early on (laughs) just push right through We know. Just know when you get there, you're gonna be like, "Oh my god, I can't believe these bitches suggested this book." And I'm (laughs) and I'm telling you right now in your ear holes, I know. Relax. Keep reading. Keep reading. (laughs) Keep reading. Or stop if you're traumatized. But if something if if something terrible happening to a horse is a thing that you think you can't read, consider consider this your content warning.
0: Oh, Sarah. (laughs) I mean, I'm trying to be nice, but also like. What did you? What do you say? All animals are what? All animals are symbols. Yeah, that's my first rule of symbolism. My second rule of symbolism I'll be uncovering later when we have an actual daring in the duke. Oh my god! Did I do something symbolic? I know you didn't expect it. Oh,
1: by the way, daring in the duke is coming out June thirtieth. You can all pre-order it now. You can get it from my local indep- independent bookstore, Word in Brooklyn, um, and you will get fated mates stickers, unique. Special edition, one-time-only yellow Faded Meat stickers that are really gorgeous. Um, you also get some other stuff from me. Um, And it'll be signed. And... uh, Yeah, please, please, please patronize me. (laughs) (laughs) Just do it. You know. Uh, And then... uh, And that is also childhood... Uh, Surprising no one. That is childhood... friends
0: to lovers to very big enemies to lovers oh yeah big enemies it's amazing big big enemy energy (laughs) big (laughs) enemy revenge i mean all like right like what was the part is it the princess bride where he's like
1: fencing fighting torture revenge giants monsters chases escapes true love
0: it's like he like lists all
1: the things in the story. Like, <gasps> oh, I love that part. Hey, here's a question for you. Yeah. My daughter is six and a half. Would the Princess Bride work for her? Like, I think it's fine. I'm not
0: worried about content. I'm worried about is it boring? All you you know what? Kids are so different. All you can do is like start and then see how it goes. You know. Mm, mm-hmm. You just gotta give it a shot. Because it's like, kids are so different at this age. Here's what I will say. I think if you do not, as a parent, go to Common Sense Media. Common Sense Media has movie reviews, but the thing that is, like, most useful, because I ignore their, like, like age their age bands but they break down like exactly what it is that happens like in a variety of things so it's like drinking alcohol sex like whatever you care about so like my son was like real sensitive to violence in movies Mm. and i would sort of forget like there's sort of a really we went to see the first superman movie and there's a part where the guy's like bring out the planet destroyer and Darius was like and we're out and like I like walked around the movie theater with him like we didn't think it would be too scary but we were wrong right but I would I would would like read and I'd be like oh yeah he'd be fine with that or oh no he would not so I would just say my thing is like I remember
1: really loving it but it's a
0: lot of talk it's a lot of talk It's
1: talky it's a talky movie yeah for sure but it's a princess and a very handsome man and a pirate and a cliff yeah, sure. yesterday, so she says to me yesterday, she so she watched she watched Mulan Two twice in one day. Oh yeah, I remember <laughs> and if those. If you've years. read Mulan 2, if you've watched Mulan 2, you know that Mulan 2 is basically a romance novel. <laughs> like it begins I'm not kidding. There's yeah. no plot except um Mulan and and Lee Shen are um are getting married there. He proposes right at the very start. And then like the whole time, then they have to bring these three brides to be married in another kingdom for like, you know, kingdom reasons. And those three brides, like during the journey, those three brides fall in love with like, other members of the army, and Mulan and her fiance have a like break, like have like a they have conflict, breakup conflict uh, affected by Eddie Murphy as a dragon. <laughs> and then at the end, they realize like it's all gone. like they they actually don't have conflict and they're in love. And then they get married. they kiss and get married. And Victoria, oh, and my daughter said, She came into my office and she was like, mom, will you watch Mulan 2 with me? And I was like, sure. And then it came out that she had asked Eric to watch Mulan 2 with her like four hours earlier. So she watched it both times and she was like, I don't really like kissing, but I like it when they get married. And I was like, "Okay, fine. And then yesterday we were talking and I said, well, do you want kissing in the movie? Because we usually watch a movie on Fridays. Yeah. And she said, um, I said, do you want kissing in the movies? And she said, no. uh." And then she looked at me and she said, well, maybe a little. (laughs) Yes, (laughs) Yes, <laughs> and I was like, maybe a lot. I think you mean. <laughs> <And> <laughs> That's awesome. So, recommend me uh great kissing movies for a six and a half to seven year old who's
0: pretty cool with whatever. Those were dark days. The animated, the like rewatching. There are more now for us than there were for you. Yeah. Well, he went through a phase where he was, like, real obsessed with Alvin and the Chipmunks. I swear to God, I saw the movie 50 times, and I was literally, like, every time, I was like, I am earning some big-time mom points, and I'm going to cash those in one day. That's Tangled in Our House, Um, which is fine, because
1: that also is a romance novel, so— Works out fine. <laughs> but yesterday she told me she told me the story of Sleeping Beauty and she was like, Ugh. she gets pricked on the finger and then she falls asleep and yada yada yada. <laughs> it's kinda boring. And I went, it is kind of boring. And then she said, But the bad guy in that movie, maleficent. Mm. She said, she's really interesting. And I was like,
0: oh, yeah, we're That's doing amazing. it. amazing. <laughs> we're doing it. It's like those moments of parenting where you're like, I feel OK about it. Feel okay yeah, about it. I don't. I mean,
1: does it make me a good mom if she's into Maleficent, who's like pretty evil as far as evil goes
0: on the evil scale? <laughs> she's an interesting character, and that's what counts. She really is. She's much more interesting than yada yada yada. Sleeping Beauty literally just fucking <gasps> sleeps. Thought, where did she learn yada
1: yada yada? Has she been watching Seinfeld? Like <laughs> what? Like, I don't understand.
0: Oh. It's so funny. All right, we'll be back next time with the Kingdom of
2: Dreams. Bye, everyone. Hi, Jen and Sarah. This is Morgan in the Pacific Northwest. I'm calling in to talk about a book that blooded me. Um, So I started reading romance back in high school and I raided my mom's bookshelf and read a lot of Jude Devereaux, uh, Black Lion included. I took a little bit of a break in college except for um, the whole series of Outlander. And once I was out of college, I started getting back into romance and did that through Um, Highlander historicals and one of the first ones I picked up was Never Seduce a Scot by Maya Banks. Um, This is just the sweetest book. I have a very long list of bookmarked scenes and moments that I love to go back to um, but it's basically a um, an arranged marriage amongst uh, two rival clans. It's a little bit of enemies to lovers um, and Eveline, the heroine, is uh, they perceived as touched, uh, so she's she's mute, and sometimes she's engaged, and sometimes she's totally aloof, um, and it's later revealed that uh, Eveline is deaf, and she can read lips, and from my perspective, it was handled really well. Um, I, in the end, Maya Banks says her husband actually has a hearing condition and that's how she based Eveline's condition off of. Um, but what I really liked and kind of set the foundation for a story element that I really like even now is that her secret is revealed um, pretty early on and it's not a part of the climax, you know. And so once the secret is revealed, Eveline and Graham can move on together and battle some external conflicts. Um, so that became a, a uh, itch that I like to be scratched now. <laughs> um, but it is a wonderful book, and I would highly recommend it. Thanks so much for all you do. Really enjoy the podcast. Thanks.